the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Welcome to the Farm Advisory Service podcast. I'm Ross McKenzie. In this podcast, Malcolm McDonald talks to SAC nutritionist Mary Young and Norvite Technical Director David McClelland about minerals and ruminant rations. This includes an overview of the major minerals which are supplemented in ruminant rations and their benefit to animal health. David outlines how minerals and vitamins are defined and can be used in an organic context. And both Mary and David outline case studies on specific deficiencies and how they were rectified. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. Um, my name is Malcolm McDonald and I'm here with um, Norvite Technical Director David McClelland and uh, SAC Nutritionist Mary Yang. Um, we're recording this podcast um, as part of the Northeast Organic Discussion Group um, to, to essentially go with a series of meetings which are part of that. And this one is following the first meeting, virtual meeting we had, which was about minerals, mineral use in, uh, in ruminants and um in an organic context too, as it would be. Um, Mary, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a wee bit about your background, first of all? Uh, yeah, sure. As Malcolm said, I'm a nutritionist with SAC Consulting. Um, it'll be five years in November, actually, since I started with SAC. Um, so I started off as a trainee, um, and now I suppose I'm a fully-fledged nutritionist without um, allowed to speak on these kind of things. But, um, yeah, I'm originally from Northern Ireland. I'm actually back there now working remotely for SAC. Um, my dad's a dairy farmer, so I do a bit of dairy, but I'm mainly beef and sheep, uh, part of the beef and sheep team at SAC. Thanks, Mary. Um, David, do you want to tell us a bit about your background? Hi, uh, good morning. I am also from Northern Ireland originally, uh, uh, lowland beef and sheep farm uh, on the uh, north um, north coast uh, near the causeway and I uh, came across to do my postgrad degree in Aberdeen uh, over 25 nearly 30 years ago and I've been uh, based in the northeast of Scotland since so uh, I'm an animal nutritionist uh, by background and I've been working with Norvite um, uh, as the technical uh, director and our job at Norvite was really uh, making minerals and designing those minerals and so that's really the core to, to what we do. It's, it's a more diverse business now um, but that's still very important to what we do at Norvite. Okay, okay, good stuff. So uh, yeah, wealth experience there, good stuff. Um, I think we'll kick off, um, if maybe wants to start, just kind of taking us through the key minerals um, in ruminant diets and um, to, what to look out for and what might need to be supplemented. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so yeah, I think it's important to remember when we're talking about minerals and vitamins that they're all part of a balanced ration and not to forget the, the most important parts of the ration, the energy and protein side. Um, but yeah, a balanced daily ration is one where the nutrient supply is meeting the dietary requirements for that level of animal performance. Uh, so it obviously depends on the animal. If it's a, a growing animal versus a, a dry suckler cow, their requirements will be, be very different. Um, 
So your nutrients come from your feed and water is also really important to remember that that's an essential nutrient. Um, so your feed stuff supply your energy and protein, your minerals and vitamins. Um, and also the rumen activity as well produces some of the vitamins to, to support your daily requirement. So each component is really essential um, for your balanced daily ration. Um, your mineral types can be broken down into your, your macro minerals um, or also sometimes known as your major minerals, things like your calcium, your phosphorus, uh, magnesium uh, and sodium. So they're just required in slightly larger quantities um, than your micro minerals or or your trace elements, maybe more more commonly called. Uh, so your trace elements would be things like copper and iron, uh, cobalt, zinc, and manganese and iodine. Um, so yeah, in any ration, it's essential that all of these components are present in order to achieve your your target performance levels. Uh, some of the key ones to probably mentioned the calcium and phosphorus obviously quite important in your your bone and, and muscle function um obviously the type of feeds that you have in the ration will have an influence in, in how much uh, is coming through in the base of your ration uh, things like cereals are generally quite poor sources of calcium whereas your grass will, will be quite a generally quite adequate in calcium uh, things like phosphorus, you'll find that forages tend to be uh, low, particularly later in the season. But um, things like distillers, grains and um, protein supplements will be quite high in phosphorus. Uh, I think magnesium is probably uh, another key one to talk about, particularly when it comes to suckler cow nutrition. Um, so that is key in, in sort of bone and, and nerves as well. Um, yeah, I think uh, particularly in the autumn time as well, that can be quite a common time for staggers uh, to, to occur as we're kind of moving into that time now. Um, sort of changeable stormy weather conditions um, and that more sort of lush wet grass through the digestive tract can be a, a big risk factor for staggers, uh, particularly in the lactating suckler. Uh, it's quite important um, magnesium at that time. Now with with staggers, how would you say your cows are still at uh, still at grass just now, and the grass is tailing off? Maybe uh, what would you say is kind of an effective way to supplement that uh, magnesium? Try and avoid that, maybe. Yeah, I think. Sorry, um, the recommended intakes are about twenty to twenty-five grams of magnesium. You know, in the overall ration. Um, so if you take into account the potassium level of your grass, can can have quite a big effect as well. If it's quite high in potassium, sort of two to three percent, um, then you might have to increase the level of magnesium that you're supplementing to. I think it's around thirty to forty grams of magnesium if you, if you do have quite a high potassium level. Um, so, so a good guide for for suckler cow, she'll, she'll eat about 10 kilos of dry matter of grass. And if you take an average value for grass, uh, about 1.6 grams of magnesium comes from the grass. That if you just multiply that up, that gives you about 16 grams of magnesium from the grass. And in normal situation, that that might be sufficient, 16 grams, but I would say um, to, to aim to, more toward your 20, 25 grams, if you were supplementing with a mineral that's, uh, I would say minimum 10% magnesium, if you're given that at about 100 grams per head per day, that'll give you 10, 10 grams of magnesium from that supplement. Um, so 
definitely look for a minimum of about ten percent magnesium in your in your mineral supplement. Okay. Okay. Um, David, um, is, is is that something you come across a lot with your uh, customers looking to avoid staggers? Is that um, an issue you deal absolutely. with? Yeah, absolutely. And it, 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 Mary's correct. It's very seasonal. So springtime is clearly uh, a big issue with lush grass. And, and at this stage in autumn, when um, uh, you know the the weather's changing and, and, and cows are probably you know, given quite a bit to, you know, calves are strong and they're taking quite a bit out of the cow. Um, yeah. So there's there's other stresses going on and that can just put added pressure onto cows. Um, so magnesium is really important and, and it's so simple to fix. You know, we know about this problem. Um, it's well enough understood, uh, but the practicalities are just a difficulty because magnesium is not tasty. It's just not yeah. an attractive um, trace element to get. Uh, stop to, to, to take regularly um, and they do need it regularly because there's no real store um, storage uh, of magnesium in the body they do need it on, on a daily basis so unlike a lot of the other um, uh, mineral and, and trace elements that we talk about where there are natural storage uh, pools in the body that the, the animal can draw from magnesium is required on a very regular basis and that's why you know you'll you'll just get sudden staggers um you know, you'll get a cow um lying down or you, you may even find them um dead and, and and no no previous sign so it can be very 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 acute so the, yeah. the, the issue is getting magnesium into the, into these animals you can provide it but they have to take it so it has to be provided at very uh, attractive means and that means probably um you know adding salt so in a powdered form um, a salty mineral will help uh uh, become more appealing to the the animal um, or sugars so blocks uh, or buckets which are heavily molassed uh, can be an attractive way to cover that taste of magnesium salts so you know magnesium we're talking about epsom salts as magnesium sulfate um, and, and we you know we, we all know that's not very uh, palatable uh, to us and, and it's just the same for our stock they, they don't particularly like that yeah. uh, so trying to disguise the, the taste or make it more palatable to stock will help and the other the other very simple way is just to feed them you know it's the old fashioned idea of a feed that is supplemented with magnesium you know a hard feed of some sort um, but that's a lot of hard yeah. work and, and yeah, it is, maybe, yeah. maybe not an answer for everyone but um those are the practical yeah. hurdles that we have to get over. Ah, definitely. To my mind, the, the surest way to, to get the minerals into them has been kind of along with some kind of feed. But like you say, feeding, you know, many cows in a trough of grass is one is messy too. So it's not mm. always going to be the, the solution for everybody. Certainly not. No. <laughs> so, yeah, go, going back to some of the other key minerals, um, particularly for suckler cows, the iodine as well is another key one. Um, it can be linked to fertility and poor growth rates in stillborn calves uh, if you are deficient. Other ones like selenium and vitamin E tend to work hand in hand. Uh, they're linked to immunity and, and can 
can cause routine cleansings and again fertility issues and, and muscle weakness um, and copper is another one that again can cause uh, infertility and, and poor performance uh, in sucklers and, and cobalt is probably the last one to look at um, so the it's important to always supply cobalt because the rumen bugs actually use it to produce vitamin B12 um, which is important for energy um, mm. energy metabolism in the rumen Oh, sorry. Cobalt, I often hear mentioned more so um, as a supplement for growing lambs and maybe eyes as well. It seems more prominent, um, certainly in the marketing for uh, for um, yes. minerals and lambs. Anyway. Yeah, I particularly for weaned lambs because they're they're coming off the milk where a lot of their cobalt. Um, cobalt requirement will come from so once they've kind of lost that supply making sure it's coming through in the feed uh, is really important because yeah you can't can't find they'll they'll be knocked back on their production if if it's not there yeah yeah that's that's also an area that's um sheep and cattle are actually different in in their requirement for vitamin b12 so that there, there is a clear difference between the species here um and we tend to think of ruminants you know the sheep are just small versions of cows yeah. actually there, there are some biological and physiological differences uh, and that that's why there the, the, there is a difference in in sheep it is it is a more um there's more required and therefore we need to try and get that cobalt in uh to make the vitamin b12 uh, and that's yeah. difficult, that's difficult in sheep because generally they're not actually well they're not easily supplemented. There may be more extensive systems, or you know, cat, cattle tend to be you know housed over winter and they're easier to um, uh, more practically get get these supplements in. Whereas sheep maybe only get supplemented for a very short part of the season. Yeah, yeah. Most people might well be feeding their cattle every day through the winter, but they might, you know, have them next to them in the shed somewhere. But the sheep will likely be still grazing in a yeah. in a sense for for many months. Deficiency of B twelve was was identified um, generations ago, or back in the eighteen hundreds. Shepherds in the Ettrick Valley um, identified it as pine, where sheep they, they just oh, okay. don't do, and and it basically yeah. is because. The, the the vitamin B12 helps to drive appetite and intake, and and if they're short of that vitamin B12, they, they just don't eat enough. They're not full, yeah, and, and yeah. If not eating enough, then they just don't perform. Um, yeah. it, it is more complicated than that, but that's very simplistically what happens. Yeah, yeah. It drives up. It drives dry matter intake. It's maybe um, worth making the point as well, as David was pointing out, sheep and cattle are physiologically different and the requirements will be different. And quite often you come across on farm, people might just buy a general spec mineral that's, you know, kind of to do everything. But I think it is really important that you are buying what what is classified for that stock, you know, not using a dairy mineral on a suckler cow because her requirements will be so different uh, to a dairy cow. Um Quite often the dairy minerals, you can, those sort of transitioning minerals will be quite low in calcium and things, uh, looking at those kind of um, decad rations. Um, but for a suckler cow, that might not be appropriate if it's fed, you know, right through um, her her um, dry period, which can, can be a lot longer than the sort of dairy transition period. So, yeah, I think making sure you're, you're getting a, a mineral that's specific to your cattle or, or sheep um so yeah to compare the 
dairy and cyclist was the cyclic and the mineral requirements are a good bit more static compared to the dairy with the, the jump in production of the dairy and a dairy cow that you know it'll be more changeable whereas the the cyclers a bit more um so that's a fair overview of uh, the various key minerals what's what are the kind of different ways of supplementing minerals like farmers and producers have Mary, that you're in different kind of situations where you'd use different methods? Yeah, I think it, it depends on, on farm what, what works best, but there's a couple of different ways that you can supply minerals, um, additional minerals aside from, from your base forage and things, but uh, additional supplements can come in, in powdered forms, uh, you know, sort of sprinkled over the top of the silage generally, uh, or in buckets or, or licks, um, boluses and drenches or, or other forms. Uh, some people quite like using a bolus or drench because then you know that each individual has has been given um, something, you're not relying on them. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like the buckets, you're kind of relying on them to, to make their intakes. Um, I would say it's quite important that if you are supplying additional supplements that you're not overdoing it as well. That's quite often where people can fall into the trap that um, you can you can be too good to them. So given um, more than they need can be just as detrimental as them being deficient. Um, you can, can give them too much of a good thing um, and it can just be extra cost that isn't required. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's really important that you're taking in the whole picture of things. You're looking at your basal forage and where you maybe need to make up shortfalls and, and actually identifying where there may be a deficiency um, by using things like blood tests and you know liver samples. Um, I think that, sorry, just, just thinking um, at the minute, uh, people are maybe thinking about drenching or bolusing their ewes as they're coming into thinking about tupping season. Um, so looking at the difference between, you know, your boluses and drenches as well, I think um, that's really important to think about. Your, your drench tends to be, you know, a, sh a more shorter acting uh, solution, whereas your bolus can last um, sort of five months up to a year um, it really does depend on the type um, mm -hmm. and often the the bolus will only really contain your trace elements so that's always something to bear in mind uh, you won't get you know your macro minerals like your calcium etc it just tends to be the trace elements um, so making sure you know what what you're actually given as well um, and again, when it comes to kind of methods of supplementation, David, what, what are you seeing, um, you know, what are people using um, through Norovite and what's the kind of, you know, what are the trends and the fashions that you're seeing right now? Uh, I suppose, well, uh, or, organic organic minerals are actually res restricted in many ways. So if we just focus on the organic side, which this, this discussion is all about, um, yeah. they must be approved for use. So that, you know, you can't just walk into any farm um, supply merchant and, and pick up a mineral so that, that's the, that's the first thing to be aware of is that organic minerals must be approved um, I think that also um, free free access uh, does have challenges because we then accept you know that, that the stock are as I said earlier um, talking about the magnesium issue, you know, they, have, they have to take it regularly for that mineral supplement to, to do some good. So um, the bolus is attractive in that it's over the throat, but there are uh, pros and cons to the bolus option. Um, uh, Mary's already pointed out that they tend to be 
rather specific and, and limited, whereas your your powdered mineral supplements are broad a broader spectrum and, and, and balanced as a as a full supplement. Uh, buckets similarly uh, tend tend to be balanced. In terms of trends, I think it's fair to say we we are seeing a shift away from buckets because of the plastic issue. And uh, I don't want to conflate that with organics, but I think um, you know people are you know generally farmers are now aware of and concerned about the waste of, of plastic and, and how they deal with that. Um, so there's possibly a shift away from the bucket option towards powdered minerals. Um, we we have a vested interest because we, we make powdered minerals, um, so that kind of suits us. Um, but we do merchant buckets, and there is a choice there for people. You know, there's different strategies, and and it's it's important to really consider and speak to your feed advisor or nutritionist about getting the right fix for for your situation. And I would absolutely agree with Mary that more of a good thing is not necessarily the right strategy. You, know, you need to be wary of adding in multiple supplements and, and uh, there will be lots of people sell you options and solutions, but uh, you, do, you do need to actually think about where all of these supplements are, um, you know, what they're all providing and account for that. Yeah. No, I mean, it's an attitude I encounter with, with farmers too, is they kind of view um, just minerals as, uh, you know, only a positive thing and, you know, more is only going to be better type thing, um, which, you know, is, is, is certainly not the case. And it's also can get, get expensive too. Yeah. So it, it's it's not in the interest of, of the stock to be over supplementing. and it's not in the interest of your bank account to be over supplementing either. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it needs to be, needs to be um, assessed. On that subject as well, um, either one of you, I'm not sure. Do you want to talk about different ways of measuring the kind of mineral balance in forages and feeds and uh, and also the animal? I could touch a bit on forages, um, particularly in organic setting where it tends to be more diverse sward um, compared to more conventional sort of monoculture perennial ryegrass. Um, if you're looking at the, the forage mineral content, um, obviously there's lots of other factors that will have an effect as well, like the soil pH, your um, geographic location, all that kind of thing as well. But um, what type of plants you do have in the sward will make a, a big difference as well. So if you're if you've got legumes, you know your clovers, lucerne, um, they'll be higher in your your macro minerals than than grass would, and, and your trace elements as well. And your herbal lays as well, like chicory and plantain as well, they would be higher in your your macro minerals. So they sort of add to the the base level of your your mineral contents. So that's why we say it is really really important that you do analyze your forage uh, just to know the base of your ration first and then see where there may be gaps or where you could be deficient and an additional supplement may be required but if you don't have a forage mineral analysis then it is just guesswork really um it is hard to to you know be efficient and and work it out yeah. um so yeah i would say it's it's a low cost thing to do it's only about 20 pounds to get your forage analyzed and it's a neat thing you can just do annually it doesn't have to be you know every month um just an annual forage analysis will go a long way for 
tighten up the winter. And when it comes to, uh, you mentioned liver testing as well earlier on. So testing, that's testing the forage, what's going into the cow, but actually testing the kind of the balances in your, or your cow or your sheep or whatever. What are the kind of options there? I think, I think that's quite an invasive. I, I think there's a lot of things that we can probably do before we go to that stage. Um, it, it, it's a very, very invasive measure. It, it's, a, it's a very reliable way to do it because you're actually looking at the um, uh, you know where, where where a lot of the um, trace elements are actually stored in the liver tissue, and so there there are advantages to it. But I I would say it's quite specialised and yeah. probably not just to be certainly not to be done as a routine, and certainly not the first port of call. No. Um, but- so, so maybe if you've got specific issues or animals really not doing well, and you're trying to absolutely pinned down something which might be you know a, a kind of chronic deficiency was maybe that the kind of yeah, you know uh, where you I, go eventually I would, I, would, I would say that's really the nuclear option is, is to go in to a live animal and, and do a liver biopsy it's just not done routinely in beef and sheep yeah. it can be done on dairy but even there you know a veterinary practitioner is going to have to know what they're doing um, yeah. and, and do it regularly to, to, to be to be uh, really competent at, at that yeah, procedure yeah. i think that the simpler option would be to take blood samples and those are looked at fairly um fa- fairly regularly uh, to give an indication of the status in the animal um, but there are limitations to blood samples uh, in in that the the body will be trying to maintain the the required level and so it, it works actually very hard to achieve that calcium, magnesium, sodium. You know, there, there are very, very sophisticated um, systems to keep the body regulated at the right, or you use the blood to, keep, uh, to have that level at the appropriate uh, point. And therefore, <laughs> interpreting bloods c- can be quite tricky. The, the more, the more, routine and actually a very simple way uh, is is to rely on the forage because the forage will make up the vast majority of that animal's diet. So if we know what the background from forage is, then we can have a fairly good indication of what's required to balance that forage. And yeah. that, that would be the first port of call, as Mary's already said. That, that, that's get, get the background from forage, and then you can build your supplementation plan around that. And it's exactly like doing a diet plan for the other nutrients, you know, the energy and the protein. And very, very similarly, you start off with what you've got at home, in terms of forage, you measure that and and look at what that provides, and then you supply the extras that will give you the target performance. And minerals are we we are we are looking at mineral budgets just in the same way that we would look at a, 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 a more conventional diet plan. With regard to liver sampling, I said it's very invasive. However, mm-hmm. there some people will actually take liver from animals that have gone to the abattoir yeah. and ask for that sampling. And that that is a way, you know, I know some folk who'll even go to the state. Now, they're younger, but if you've got cull ewes, for instance, um, can, it can be useful as an indication of where 
the flock or the herd status is uh, um, where it lies. Um, so that that's one option. If you have a good relationship with your abattoir, it's a bit of hassle, but that's, that's possibly a route rather than going in to a live animal uh, with, a, with a very invasive procedure. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, certainly. For the, the liver samples, it's really just the copper and, and cobalt that you're looking at, um, generally because they're stored in the liver. So that's when, when David was talking about blood samples being quite tricky, um, those two would be the two I would look for. Um, I was always thought that you when you're building up a picture for minerals that you want to be as close to the animal as possible as you get further and further away, looking at soil analysis and things like that, you're you're further away from the animal. Although soil analysis is important because you can build up, you know, more a longer term plan maybe to, to help, but building it from your soil to your forage analysis, your water analysis, any other supplements that are going into the ration to your blood yeah. testing and, and the liver biopsies um, yeah. builds up that picture. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, um, David, you, you've touched on it already, but do you want to give us a, a bit more of a picture of kind of the ins and outs of how minerals work um, in organic uh, systems and um, within the organic legislation and certification as well, if you could? Yes, we've, we've talked about the approval process, and um, I think. <sighs> It's probably useful just to think about what we mean by an organic mineral. So, if, if we think about the, the you know what what is organic from a chemistry point of view, an organic substance is one that contains carbon. So that's the, that's really the definition, the chemical definition of an organic substance. It contains carbon. It's derived from living material. So, it's our cereals, forages. Um, and from an organic context, soil is organic because it contains li uh, living living matter and organic matter, and and vitamins are are organic. Um, from a chemical point of view, most of what uh, Mary has talked about are actually inorganic substances. So these are the not 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 vegetable or animal, but mineral substances and they are calcium or lime sodium chloride or salt and the trace elements and and so when we talk about organic approval there is a little bit of um uh contradiction because what what is approved as an organic mineral is actually chemically inorganic so there is no such thing as an organic mineral they're not agricultural um the um these, these products don't fit into the the standard in that way so they're non-agricultural but they must be approved for use so these inorganic substances are given approval by your certification body and i think that's a really really important distinction the the irony is that vitamins which are organic because they contain carbon are not allowed they are not allowed to be used they're not approved for use because they're synthetic uh, synthetically manufactured um, you you can use those in organic systems but very important to highlight they must have a derogation so you have to have a strong case for animal health reasons, um, which you can obtain from your certification body 
um, who will put it to DEFRA. And that needs to be done on an annual basis. So uh, I'm afraid that may be a little bit confusing. It seems rather contradictory. But I think the very, very simple message is that you need to use a trusted advisor and you need to check your label to make sure that the mineral supplementation that you decide to use does have organic approval. And if you do have a requirement for vitamins, then you would need to have that extra work um, put in place. You need to de develop a health plan, uh, probably with your vet, I would advise in including your vet um, and, and nutritionist um, in, in that process is, is much more uh, constructive and, and, and you'll get the, the right end result. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. So it's not a certainly not a simple issue in uh, within the organics. Certainly not. It's it's not a simple issue, but 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 it it, it can be simple if you work with the right people. Um, I think yeah. that's really the take home message. It, it it doesn't need to be complicated, but if you if you get it wrong, it can be you know it can be tricky to unravel. Um, yeah. You don't you don't want to fall foul of the standard because, as I say, the the whole definition of organic and inorganic. It, it, it is contradictory in the sense of the organic movement and the organic standards. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, the terminology doesn't really sit easily and we need to be very, very clear what we actually mean. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Okay. Okay, thank you for that. Very um, yeah, good overview of it. John's talk about there's a during the meeting there's a few case studies of particular particular deficiencies you uh, talked about. Um, do you want to talk through some of them for us, David? Yeah, I think well, I, I think it's always good to to bring it back to real life and and um, so the case studies I I hope will will maybe explain a, some some key. Um, or topical issues. Uh, we've already talked about the magnesium one, which is very topical. Um, vitamin D is the first case study that I spoke about at the, the virtual meeting. Uh, this is a Northeast organic farm, suckler and sheep. And four years ago, 2016 season, they had a real problem uh, at lambing time. Um, quite a lot of broken bones and, or very weak bones. And it was a specific group of hogs, and we identified that that uh, clinical problem was down to a vitamin D deficiency, which meant that calcium was not being absorbed. So weak bones, lack of calcium, but it was actually the vitamin D which caused the um, deficiency in calcium. It just wasn't being metabolized. We managed to get a delegation to add vitamins to the mineral supplement and uh, that, that seemed to resolve the problem. It's a longer term one, clearly. It was when the, the lambs were developing that this was an issue. So it's really quite a, quite a problem, but it was fairly easily resolved in, in the next season. Longer term, there are other things that you can do. So there's some practical strategies. Uh, and we struggle in the northern latitudes because the day length is getting certainly getting shorter uh, you can see the nights closing in and when ewes uh, are carrying lambs the day length will be a, a an issue there's just not enough sunlight to produce vitamin d which happens naturally in the skin 
that was resolved by actually sharing the ewe lambs before tupping. Now, whether that's made a marked effect or not, um, it's difficult to really, we haven't measured vitamin D status in the lambs, but vitamin D was, was removed from the, the supplement um, because that, that's really the, tar the target for the certification body is that you should not be using synthetic vitamins for an extended period. And so clipping those lambs before tupping has probably improved um, the, the, the vitamin D uh, that the, the lambs are manufacturing naturally from yeah. sunlight. Yeah. And there was certainly no issues in this, the lambing season just gone past in 2020. So important to highlight that, you know, there, there are challenges in the organic system because we, we don't have the toolbox that conventional farmers can, you know, just dip into. And, you know, we would never really see rickets or weak bones in conventional systems. Um, the, the, the second case study um, that was discussed in the meeting uh, revolved around manganese, which uh, this, this is not quite such a straightforward um, cause and effect. So vitamin D and rickets was very straightforward. There's a clear link, and that was resolved. Um, but manganese has been, the finger has been pointed at manganese um, as a... Uh, a factor in congenital chondrodystrophy of unknown origin, or uh, that's not so easy to say. So long bone deformity or bulldog calves, um, as it's commonly called, and, and this you know will be familiar to folk. You know you'll you'll see calves born that clearly um, haven't developed uh, correctly, and they're they're stunted or they've got issues with twisted limbs um, and and facially the skull isn't developed uh, correctly either, so th th this is a fairly um, uh, fairly well known uh, condition, and the cause is actually uncertain. We 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 there's a few risk factors um, that have been identified um, some time ago. SAC recognized that silage only diets appeared to be a, an issue. Some other factors, changing of diet, uh, stress factors um, could be implicated. And there's also a particular time when um, the, the dam is most at risk, and that would appear to be mid-pregnancy. So month four or five, it seems to be the really key point um, when dietary and nutritional upsets seem to be causing a bit of an issue here. Um, why is it more prevalent in organic farms um, was, was raised as a question. It happens across the country. Basil Lohman picked up on this about 10, 12 years ago and uh, looked into some of the risk factors. And interestingly, came up with a small Canadian study in pregnant suckler cows fed three forages, so hay, silage, and red clover silage. The hay and silage were taken from the sea and pasture, and they were analysed for forage. Uh, the forage was analysed for man manganese. The hay had the lowest level, 
the silage was medium manganese content and the red clover silage was was the highest and I don't have the numbers but they were rated low medium and high and the cows fed that forage had blood samples and the blood level the status in the in the dam was actually highest in the hay fed cattle the silage was medium level and the red clover silage although it was very high in the forage those dams had the lowest level of manganese in the blood so their status was lower so there's a an inconsistency there that was quite interesting the hay fed cattle had no had no deformity so calves were fine 28 percent of the calves born to the dams on silage had the deformity and that level increased to 38 percent in the red clover silage so clearly there seemed to be a bigger problem um, where the dam had the lowest level of manganese circulating in the blood so that, that that kind of flagged up manganese as a possible issue and we know that manganese is important in the development of it does have a role to play in the development of uh, cartilage which at the end of the long bones um, that, that that is implicated in bone development as you can say counterintuitive that the the forage with the high manganese level would be resulting in the and the dams having a low level of manganese, you know, in their bloods, so it's interesting. A couple of reasons, possibly. The miles per hour um, through, you know, the, if the silage was particularly digestible and was going through the gut, maybe the um, manganese wasn't a, a absorbed. Um, so the, more, the, 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 the hay diet where it was probably in the gut for longer, the retention time in the gut, maybe the, the manganese was there in the gut longer and therefore was absorbed more more effectively the other factor that does appear to um, play a part is protein level now protein levels weren't measured but we know that red clover silage has higher protein than silage and we know that grass silage has a higher protein level than hay so it, it could well be that a higher level of nitrogen or protein in a forage can interact with my with the manganese that that that's a, a few different theories about why that uh, high and low in, in the inconsistency that you've pointed out mm-hmm. yeah to, to add a layer of complication to to this message organic approved minerals are generally very low or or actually zero in many cases in manganese and that is simply because the, the initial organic supplements that were developed for the organic systems looked at forage content of trace elements. And manganese is actually reasonably well uh, supplemented in forages. The silage and red clover silage, medium to high forage content of manganese, sounds perfectly good. Why would you add it in? And so the, the, the organic supplements had manganese removed or at a very low level. And therefore, it is more risky if you have a diet that the, the cow cannot absorb the manganese, then you really don't have any backup plan because most organic supplements will not contain the manganese to um, uh, you know, provide, uh, make up the shortfall. 
Yeah. And so I think that's probably the reason that when organic units do find cases of long bone deformity, they tend to be pretty horrific. They're, they're much more severe. And there are a number of case studies over the past five to 10 years where you know organic units have had a flare up and it's pretty catastrophic. It's hard to deal with. It's emotionally draining and, and it's financially draining. So yeah, it, yeah. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't crop up a lot, but where it does, it can be really very, very significant. And that's why I'm, I'm flagging up manganese is maybe not the whole answer. Um, it may be a case of adding some straw into a silage diet or you know, red clover is a great feed, but just don't rely too heavily on it. There are a number of things that can be done to avoid long bone deformity or try and reduce the, the risk of it. And I would suggest a good dose of manganese as a backstop in your supplement is, is probably a plan to have. And make sure that that happens mid-pregnancy, which is is the time when you're, you know, you're weaning cows, you're changing their diet because you're probably housing them. So all of these risk factors and stressors are coming into play just at the time when we don't really want them to be happening. Yeah, the other thing with um, organic farms is they're far more likely to have orga- um, red clover silage than uh, conventional farms, I would right. say, as well. So it might be you know increasing the instance of it. Um, Mary, do you want to talk about the, the study on um, magnesium in, in, uh, in suckler cows, which I think... Uh... Yeah, it's, um, it's probably worth mentioning since we have chatted a bit about magnesium already, but there, there was a, a study basically that my colleagues um, did that was a Scottish government-funded project uh, that was looking at 12 spring calving herds uh, this year. And they were, they were doing blood samples on all of those herds and we're looking at a number of different uh, things in those samples looking at energy status and protein but they also looked at the mineral levels in the blood as well and um, so they did it a month pre-calving and post-calving and something really interesting that came out of it was that about a third of their results um, showed that they were low in magnesium pre-calving um so some some of the farmers in the study did act on that and reduced the level post-calving but even uh, post-calving there was still uh, about a quarter of them low in magnesium um so yeah quite interesting as as we've mentioned them before that can have a big effect on you know slow calvings and uh, the the calcium uh, mobilization in the cow as well so um, there was a larger study done by the University of Edinburgh it was looking at um, bigger numbers of suckler cows there's 988 in that in that study but they were also blood testing across 80 different farms and they also found that in, in that study there was 29% of the cows had low uh, blood magnesium in the last month of pregnancy so yeah it definitely does seem to be an issue in the suckler herd with with low magnesium um yeah yeah 29 is, is quite significant it's um it's not small amounts do you think maybe that are people because i mean the demand will be going up in the kind of last that last month or so before pregnancy are, are people maybe feeding a flat rate of minerals all the way through the winter and are maybe not allowing for a you know an increased need up, up to calving is that maybe 
part? Yeah, I, I think in particularly in that study that my colleagues were involved with, um, that that was an issue. I think it was just a sort of general purpose mineral being fed throughout and not um, moving up maybe to a, a more specialized suckler cow mineral. So as we were saying before, sort of minimum 10% that, that three to four weeks pre-calving is really ideal. So a general purpose mineral throughout dry period is fine, but as you get closer to that month before calving, I would suggest moving on to a specialized suckler cow mineral. Yeah, I'm looking at the magnesium yeah. levels in it. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, David, the, the, your, your next case study was, was on iodine, which again, I, I mean, I hear a lot of kind of anecdotal um, advice floating around. Do you want to talk us through that one and a, and a study Norvik were involved in? Yeah, the, the iodine one is is very topical. It's, it's one of these trendy ones, uh, which uh, you know it has it has a real, very real benefit and role to play, which Mary covered earlier. And um, you, you mentioned that there's a lot of anecdotal stuff, and I think that's important to be aware that you know there's a lot of chit chat and what is real and what is not real. Um, but there's very significant science on on the iodine story. Uh, Professor Tommy Boland, who's uh, based at UCD in Dublin, the Vet College in Dublin, um, carried out work about 15 years ago uh, in the oversupply of iodine in sheep. And the, he established a link between too much iodine and field passive transfer. Field passive transfer, the, the, the condition where colostrum is not taken up, it is not transferred across the gut in the newborn. Um, so the IgGs provided by the dam in the colostrum give the, um, uh, they transfer the immunity from the dam to the newborn. Uh, but in his study, he showed that that failed very significantly. He looked at a number of different minerals actually, and it was clearly iodine uh, that, that, that caused this. There was a cause and effect, real landmark work, and, and that work was repeated. The interesting thing I mentioned earlier about cattle and sheep being different, you know, we, we know that there are issues with some very well-managed herds of cattle, suckler cattle, uh, where they, they appear to, the you know, calves just appear to be unable to meet the challenge to, you know, common problems like cryptosporidiosis or various other in, infective agents or challenges. Um, we know that studies um, in the dairy herd as well show that calves actually have very poor levels of colostrum uptake measured by the IgGs in their blood. So there would appear to, you know, this this is a very neat uh, way that the dam can protect the newborn, um, and yet it doesn't appear to be working as effectively as it should be. And Tommy Boland's work then flagged up that iodine is a problem. But what we're not sure about is, does the same, does the same mechanism happen in cattle? Um, it, it's well established in sheep, but we uh, got involved with um, a pilot study uh, speaking to um, a team from the Morden and some support from Livestock Health Scotland. Uh, we recruited 
eight suckler farms in the uh, autumn of 2017. And we analyzed their forages and we did a mineral budget looking particularly at iodine. There was a great variation in, in the iodine. Um, some had very low levels, some had uh, higher levels from the forage. Um, six out of the eight supplemented. Um, some were using buckets, some, most of them were using powdered minerals. And there was one actually which was supplementing with a very high level of iodine in the powdered mineral and actually bolused on top. And, and that was that flagged up that actually they, they were feeding uh, a level of iodine that was above the legal threshold. So there is a, a legal limit for suckler cows of 10 milligrams per kilogram dry matter intake. And, and this particular farm, you know, the, the, the amount going over the throat was well above that, that threshold. Um, we looked at the colostrum quality um, and we also analysed the calves. We took blood samples between day five and seven to assess the antibody absorption, uh, and that's called a zinc sulfate turbidity test, ZST. Um, there's some other RIA, there's a few other um, tests, but ZST would, would have been the gold standard. And there was really quite a wide variation. It was very difficult because it was small numbers, only eight farms, 10 calves on each farm. We, we couldn't really statistically analyze this, but we did see some interesting trends. And, and actually, the, the, the sad fact is that a third of all of those calves had failed passive transfer. And that's defined as below five, a, a count of five ZST. You're really aiming for about 20 or above is, is adequate. And then there's this partial failure in between five and 20. Um, the farm which had the very high iodine, the illegal level of iodine, actually had no calves above the threshold of 20. So all of the calves were either failed or partially failed, which meant they were very vulnerable to challenge. And uh, ironically, the, the farm that had the lowest level of iodine uh, supplementation had uh, the average for that unit was above 25. So there, again, there was a variation around that, but there was a very clear um, it's only two particular farms, and they were both on the extremes of this small pilot study. But, you know, I just think it's important to maybe not draw too many conclusions from this, but actually uh, this should inform our decision-making. And when you set that alongside the really clear science in sheep, then I would say it's very important that we feed the right amount of iodine, but we don't go over the top. And because farmers talk to each other and you know some people are putting in multiple sources and once you put the bolus in you cannot get it out again um, it's there um, for the duration uh, it's, it's difficult to fine-tune the amount of iodine and the risk period which would appear to be six eight weeks before calving mm. so be very aware that too much iodine may well cause a problem and you should be doing budgets to ensure you've got enough, but not too much. Yeah, no, no, no. Of course, a small study we've got to keep in mind, but it's still cer certainly interesting. Um, and it's, um, 
because that that passive transfer is so so crucial to getting the calf off to a good start and you yeah. know keeping them going all the way through like it's absolutely essential so so yeah especially with that extreme case it's um I think interesting the, the, the irony here is that, and, and we've actually seen this in practice uh, speaking to the local vets, you know, it's the really well-managed farms, the farms that aren't scrimping, the ones who are really spending a lot, you know, they're doing everything, like they're getting a good quality mineral, they're, they're buying boluses and doing that as well. They're the ones that were actually having the problem. It wasn't the ones yeah. who were perhaps, so you, you, you can actually kill them with kindness. So you're doing yeah. everything right, you'll actually go the extra mile. And ironically, uh, that is what is causing the problem or it would appear yeah. to be causing a problem. Yeah, um, so, particularly with the with the boluses, I think in a lot of people's heads, the boluses kind of sit in almost a medicine kind of category, and 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 you, you then you forget about the the minerals you're feeding in front of them, which are, uh, you know, more kind of uh, on, on the nutrition side, and in, in some people's head, whereas they're they're kind of you know they're absolutely one and the same, and you've got to remember that. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, thanks. For those um, particularly interesting case studies as well. We will wrap things up there. Do you want to both give me uh, two take-home messages for the for the close of the podcast? Um, do you want to go first, David? Uh, well, I would say the first thing is have a forage analysis done. It really gives you a very clear indication of the background level. It gives you a base to start building your supplementation plan from that. And in terms of building a plan, I think you should have a good team around you. Um, you know, the organic movement um, has got a lot of support, um, and there will be lots of people willing to help. So, you know, get a good team that you trust. So, your feed advisor, your vet, your certification body, SAC vet services are there as well, and and so together you can actually uh, interpret that forage analysis. And, and put it to good use in, in terms of a herd or flock health plan uh, that, in, that includes mineral supplementation in an appropriate way. Okay, thank you, David. Uh, Mary? Yeah, I would just reiterate what David said, that knowing what's in the base of your ration is key to, it's a good starting point uh, for everything. Um, and working out, it's all about requirement and supply. So knowing what your animals require um, based on you know production levels, their pregnant lactating uh, environment as well. If they're housed outside, these all have a big effect. Uh, and looking at your supply, are those matching up? Do you need to give additional sources? Um, and yeah, don't assume that you need more. Um, look at what's being supplied uh, and don't don't overdo it. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, you can call the Farm Advisory Service Advice Line at 0300 323 0161 or email advice at faz.scot. Next week, we're taking a focused look at natural capital and how you can harness it. From enhancing peatlands to muir burning and predator control, There should be something for everyone, so subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. Thanks again and see you next week.